nativity story through the eyes of each of the gospel writers. We invite you on a journey to visit the homes of each of the authors as they might have been decorated in today's world based on the shape and character of the story they'll tell. The purpose of our journey is to experience what Christmas means from each of their unique perspectives. On the first week of Advent, we light the candle of hope as we celebrate the one who is the hope of the world. And this week we will visit the earliest of the gospel records, which was written by Mark. Notice the gingerbread house in front of us. It is rather austere with no decorations to speak of. Mark's story is minimalistic. In a very few brushstrokes, the story is launched. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark gives us no hint of Jesus' beginning other than his opening declaration. He provides a slim resume that isn't particularly enlightening concerning the coming of the Son of Man into our world. But don't despair. We won't be asking you to put away your Christmas decorations. And to reassure you, you can see that we have decorations all over our building. Mark does help us understand that chirpy songs about Santa and shopping for gifts and old-time Christmas nostalgia won't insulate us from a broken and fearful world. Hope is truly found in the manger, but only because it is found fully in the cross and on the cross. The hope that Mark brings to us is not in spite of suffering. It is a hope that has been through suffering and emerged on the other side. Bethlehem is not the final destination. It is the first step on the way to the empty tomb and a reminder that we await the second advent with hope-filled expectation.
Let me hear your hands this morning. Well, this is Advent. How many of you knew that? If you thought this was um, the first of the year, you're a little off on your calendar. So maybe hoping for a new year, but we're going to celebrate the coming of Jesus into our world while we look forward with expectation to his coming again. And to do that this year, we're going to visit each of the four gospel writers And we'll have a gingerbread house that will kind of represent their story. So I want to give an appreciation to uh, Linda Cachette and uh, Justin Wirtz and Kevin Umfress for doing the work on the house. I just looked and sampled the frosting. and um, But please don't come up and do that right now. We'll cut your little fingers off. So leave leave the houses alone. But... Glad for this time of year that we can celebrate Jesus coming to the world. And Christmas traditions are amazing. How many of you have at least one traditious Christmas? How many of you have at least one Christmas tradition you do every year? You have at least one, okay? How many of you know what a Christmas tradition is? Again, how many of you speak English? We're going to go through that this morning. I can see what's happening right here. Well, I am curious, how many of you have a Christmas tree, at least one? I've seen some of the five or six. How many have at least one Christmas tree? Now, I'm going to assume that no one has an upside-down Christmas tree. Do you have an upside-down? Anybody have an upside-down Christmas tree? It's a trend that's been around a lot longer than I realized, but it's kind of come back into vogue. You can actually hang the Christmas tree from your ceiling, the upside-down Christmas tree, And here's an example of what it looks like. Or they make them now upside down that you can put on a stand. And so it's upside down, stuck up in the air. Where did that idea come from? Well, it's been around as early as the 7th century. Folklore from the Middle Ages says that St. Boniface 
saw a group of pagans that had set up, cut down and set up an oak tree to worship it. So he cut it down and replaced it with a fir tree. Before cutting up the fir tree and hanging it upside down as a way to explain the Holy Trinity. That's what he used the fir tree for. Others suggest that the shape of the upside down Christmas tree represents the cross of Christ. So I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not suggesting you need to at all. But it was something that dates back to centuries before. And there are some benefits to that. It's virtually cat and dog proof. It saves space. Um, your favorite and largest ornaments could now be displayed at eye level instead of down at ground level. And for the children in your home, more and bigger presents will fit under the tree. So this year, I want us to think about the upside down Christmas tree in this sense, on, on this, this journey through Mark. I don't care if you hang it upside down or right side up or if you have one at all. That's totally up to you. We also know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is an upside down message. You live by dying. You become greater by becoming smaller. It's an upside down kingdom and that's a healthy piece. However, if we get the Advent story upside down, we're not telling it right or accurately we miss something vitally important. We can't afford to get it upside down. Some refer to that as the idolatry of the incarnation. That is addressing a mindset that many nominal Christians have that Christmas is a season that you put up and then you put away. You decorate and then you undecorate and the season is over. And I hope you understand that that's an upside down way of looking at the Advent season because it's not something that we put up and put away, though I do know some of you leave your lights on all year round and they're going to call the Homeowners Association on you this year. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living the lifestyle out every day of our lives. That Jesus coming into this world isn't a holiday. It's a way of life that we celebrate. And so we begin with Mark because Mark tells us the least about the incarnation story. He speaks in straight lines. He doesn't really have the birth story, but theologically he begins in the same place as all of the gospel writers begin. It's the proclamation that Jesus is God's son. Luke tells it with angels and prophetic declarations. Matthew tells it with the star leading the Magi to Bethlehem. John tells it in poetry, the word made flesh. But in Mark, Jesus stands on the banks of the Jordan River and is anointed by God with the declaration that this is God's beloved son. All four gospels, though, begin in the same place, that Jesus is God incarnate and dwells among us. So Mark isn't taking us on a circular journey, but in a straight line, from point to point. Mark is more concerned that you understand the journey to get to Jesus than he is that you understand the journey that got Jesus here. He wants to make sure you get to the main story, the main point. Mark makes a unique contribution to the gospel stories in this sense. He's the first of the gospel writers. 
Stan Purdom says it this way. There's a wide agreement among Bible scholars that Mark was the first of the four Gospels to be written. And that both Matthew and, and Luke rely heavily on Mark as their primary source of research. In fact, only 24 of Mark's verses are not repeated in some fashion in Matthew or in Luke. John obviously used other sources in writing his treatise. Both Matthew and Luke include additional material and perspectives, but neither one disagrees with the baseline about Jesus that Mark lays down in the book. It's good for us to remember that all four gospel writers share one common goal, to bring the audience to faith in Jesus. That's what this season is about. Can someone help me this morning? That people come to faith in Jesus Christ. To that end, Matthew and Luke start with a baseline testimony about Jesus that Mark provides, um, declaring the deity of Jesus and the portrait of him as our Savior. Mark strips the story of the story itself so we can see what the story is about. So let's not get it upside down. Let's not get so wrapped up in the trimmings and the decorations and the celebration that we forget that the message of Advent is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not about all of the, the celebrations. It's about an encounter with Jesus. Our hope is the coming of the Son of God who is coming again. Can somebody say amen? Our hope is in the Son of God who came and is coming again. So where does Mark start? Mark starts uniquely with the testimony of John the Baptist as the forerunner of the Messiah. Listen to the first verse. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. That's where Mark begins. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. There's so much truth packed into that one sentence that we could chew on that for a long time. It's the beginning of the message of the good news. It's the essence of the entire story. The Greek word good news there is often translated gospel. The gospel is good news. How many of you believe that? The gospel is good news to this world that is struggling and dying and with variants of COVID appearing every day and more of us are going to die. I read an article this morning. What you need to know about the, is it the Omicron virus now? The Omicron, what do you need to know? And I read the article and it really led me to this position. We really need to know that we don't know anything yet. This world is still in turmoil, still in trouble, still afraid. But you know what gives me hope? I think I've seen more Christmas lights up this year than in many years gone by. My wife works at a place that shall remain nameless that does hobbies in the lobby. <laughs> and they've taken things out in cartloads. One lady bought nine shopping carts. You know what I'm seeing? People want to celebrate. They want to have hope. They want something to lift them out of the darkness that surrounds them. And where are they going to find it if they don't find it in the church? Come on, help me. This is good news that Jesus came. This is good news that he is the son of God. It is good news that he is the Messiah, the savior of the world. And we can shout that at Christmas time as well as at Easter. What does the Bible tell us about the good news? Paul writes about it to the Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel 
because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then to the Gentiles. He writes to the church in Colossae, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the good news. And to the church at Ephesus, he writes that we need to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the good news of peace. This is where the story starts. This is where the good news begins. And it's not found in a celebration. It's not found in gifts around the tree. It is found in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's found in a person. It's almost as though Mark says, you can find out the historical setting on your own. Or perhaps he knows that in the telling of the story in that first century that they already knew what had happened. But he wants to make sure that you don't mistake. It's not about shepherds. It's not about a, it's not about a, a stable. It's not about uh, uh, the wise men. It's not about the gold. What is it all about? Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. It's not about the tinsel. It's not about the tree. It's not about the lights. It's not about the parties. It's not about the gifts. It's not about any of those. It's about Jesus, the Messiah. That is the good news. Help me this morning. I said that that is the good news. And that's the story we need to tell in this season. When people are ready to celebrate, let's tell the good news about Jesus coming into our world. He goes on then to show that it was prophesied in the scripture in this beginning of the good news, Jesus Messiah, the Son of God, he immediately jumps to the Old Testament prophetic foundation upon which his premise is built. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make his paths straight. He defends his premise with biblical authority. The prophetic word came to prepare the way of the Lord. And the, way, the message was to make straight paths. And I'm just going to tell you what I believe that really means. I don't believe that Jesus is asking us to make a straight, clear path so that he doesn't stumble. I think he's asking for us in the Old Testament prophetic declaration to make straight, clear paths so that people can run to Jesus. We need to make sure that everything we do is anchored to the message of the gospel. We believe in social justice. We believe in benevolence ministries here, but I'm telling you, any benevolence ministry that doesn't include the message of Jesus Christ as Savior is enabling the dysfunction and not giving them a way out. Can someone say amen this morning? It needs to be with the message of the gospel, the good news. If we do all of our Advent and it's warm, fuzzy, and we have a Santa room and we have something for the kids and everybody gets a candy cane and hot chocolate and we go home feeling good and we haven't told anybody that it's really about Jesus, we've missed the point. All of the tools in the celebration is about the coming of Jesus that we would make straight paths. God forbid that anybody would come to Berean during this Advent season and not know that it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Make straight paths for him. So John, ta I mean, Mark takes us directly to John's preaching. I mean, he just jumps right there. Do you get the idea that maybe Mark had a burden? Now, I know that Mark's key word is straightway or suddenly or immediately. 
He moves rapidly in his storytelling. He doesn't want to get bored writing so you don't get bored reading. He's going to run from one story to another. But he says, here is the good news and immediately takes us to the message that John the Baptist preached in preparing the way for people to come to Christ. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Do you see what's happening here? What is happening when John begins to preach before Jesus' ministry is launched? They're living in a world of darkness. They're living in a place where the Jewish nation has not had a fresh word from God. That prophetic voice had been stilled. The voice of the prophet was absent for a period of 400 years. That upon which their religious traditions and faith rested was gone from them. And living in that darkness, when there was a fresh voice in the wilderness, they flocked to John. They wanted to hear what this new message is about. And I'm telling you today, I believe that there's a spiritual hunger, a tide that's rising around us, and we must not miss this opportunity. Repent. Repent. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John's clothing were made of camel's hair. I'm not recommending that. A leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm not worthy. There's one coming. You're repenting. You're getting the way ready. There's one coming who's mightier than I. I'm not worthy to even unlatch his sandal and he will baptize you in supernatural power. Get ready, Jesus is coming. And to the world that's sitting in darkness today, I say he has already come, but he's coming again. And if you're gonna be ready for when he comes again, you need to be ready for when he came and surrender your life to Jesus. What is the message of Mark in this Advent story? Repent. If this morning you have never made a life surrender of of your heart to Jesus Christ, this would be the most important way for you to begin Advent. For you to surrender your life to Jesus, to say, I want him to be my savior. The good news begins with repentance. The good news begins with the message of repentance. Now, it's really interesting to me that right after the testimony of John, the Baptist, that Mark takes us in this opening chapter to the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus was baptized by John, not because he needed to repent of his sins, but it was, in effect, the transferring of the message. John is saying in that moment that, that this is the Lamb of God. This is the one that I proclaimed. And the mantle is transferring from the forerunner to the, to the main message. Mark jumps to the ministry of Jesus to broken people. Here he is, after being baptized by John, 
that he's affirmed by the Father. If this doesn't make you dance, you need to buy some new dancing shoes. I love the other stories, and we will get to them and celebrate them. I love the reaction of the shepherds when they saw the angelic host. I love the reaction of the wise men as they knelt before the Christ child. I love all of the things that happen in the story. But John, uh, John's baptism leads us to the most important declaration of all. In Mark's gospel, we are not hearing the testimony of shepherds. We're not hearing the testimony of wise men. We're not hearing the testimony of the crowds that had gathered in Jerusalem. We're not hearing the story of Herod. We're hearing one story. Who is this Messiah? Who is this new teacher? When John baptizes him in the water, not not affirmed by angels, shepherds, or wise men, but by God himself, when Jesus came up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. What greater declaration can you have anywhere in history than God the Father rising from his throne, rolling the scrolls of the heavenlies aside and declaring for all the world to hear, this is the good news. This is the incarnation. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the message that we need to hear. Isaiah prophesied it this way, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Do you know how powerful that prophetic phrase is? It speaks of his humanity and his deity. A child was born to us, But he was the eternal son of God, and that son was given to us. In that moment, unto us, a child was born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This beginning of the good news is a declaration from God the Father that this is my son. Make no mistake. It's not misunderstood. It's not been misreported. God didn't leave that to the hands of others. He declared it himself at the baptism of John. (laughs) And then he tells us right away. I mean, we haven't even gotten uh, halfway through the chapter. That the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. This child that is now a man baptized by John goes out to face the devil, tested and tempted by the devil. We see his earthly preparation for ministry, tested in all points like as we are yet without sin. We saw in the other stories, we'll see the helplessness of the child. Here we see the pains and weaknesses of human flesh as he battles the devil in the same kind of environment that Adam failed. More than a cuddly baby, who are we seeing? A grown warrior for mankind. John, baptism led us into 
the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. And Mark wants us to know that this good news is about the Savior of the world. The testimony of John the Baptist took us to the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. Now, Jesus begins to tell us what his ministry is about. The time has come and the kingdom has come near. Let's look at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's where this story goes. It doesn't end. It doesn't end with the incarnation story. It brings us to the place that Jesus proclaims to the whole world, the time has come, the kingdom is near, repent and believe. That's the message that we need to tell. You see, in Luke chapter 1, verse 19, it says it this way. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will be of great joy for all people. Again, we come back to Jesus is the good news. He's proclaiming the gospel, and the time has come. Paul said, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, made under the law. I, I, I don't want to be spooky or eschatologically weird. But I'm just telling you, I want you to hear me this Advent. I don't know what 2022 will look like and neither do you. And I don't know when he's going to return. But the first advent is intended to cause us to contemplate the second advent. And when I look at what's happening in the world around us, and I read the book of Revelation, and I read Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, I read about pestilence of diverse sorts, I read about masses of people that are dying due to disease and war and hunger. We are living in unprecedented times. And what would happen if we just say to ourselves, every believer in this place, instead of moaning and groaning and living in fear, what if we just said to ourselves, this is the time. <laughs> this is the day. This is the season. Rather than running from what is happening, what if we said the kingdom of God has come near? And if there's anything this world needs to do, it's repent and believe the good news. To step up and hold ourselves accountable to that message. Repent and believe. One commentator said it this way. We cannot properly celebrate the birth of our Savior until we recognize and acknowledge the reality of our sin. I want to read that again. We cannot properly celebrate the birth of our Savior until we acknowledge the reality of our sin. Until we are willing to repent, the details that surround Jesus' birth and life are rendered inconsequential 
Otherwise, who cares if there was three wise men or wise men bearing three gifts or whether he was God incarnate or an angel in human form? Mark tells us news that he believes can change our lives. So are we willing to be changed? Are we willing to acknowledge that we are not as we should be? According to Mark, we cannot properly celebrate the birth of our Savior until we acknowledge our need to be saved. Believe in Jesus, the Son of God. Believe in him. So I'm going to bring this to a twofold challenge. I'm going to ask you, saints of God, do you really believe the good news? Enough that it affects the way you live. Enough that you're willing to change those areas that need to be changed because we're to make the path straight. The message of Mark is for us to have our hearts ready and to truly believe the good news. And I'm, I'm so afraid that there are assemblies of God churches all over the nation that are celebrating the story that have never made it incarnational in their own lives. It's more than a religious experience that we are repenting and believing the good news that he is changing us. And second, if you don't know him, there is no meaning. Elf on a shelf isn't going to get you to heaven. Nor will mensch on a bench. That's a Jewish tradition. That's another story. I'm just saying to you, what a way to start Advent by saying, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. As Pastor Nathan comes, I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed with no one looking around. Please, no one looking around. I've prayed for this morning. I've prayed that God would have full freedom to perform his will today. And if you are not a Christ follower, if you have not invited Jesus into your life, today is the day for that to happen. With no one looking around, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to call you forward, I just want to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and say, I need Jesus in my life as my personal Lord and Savior. I, this morning, on this first Sunday of Advent, want to surrender my life to Christ. Yes, thank you, thank you. I see two. Hold up your hands. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Hold up your hand. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. The Spirit of God is moving in this room. You need to begin Advent by a real surrender of your life to Jesus. Anyone else quickly this morning? God's moving on your heart. Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Because this is what Advent is about. I'm going to ask everyone in the house to repeat this prayer after me. There's no magic in the prayer. It simply is a way of expressing the gospel message. If you admit that you have a need, you admit that you're a sinner, you believe that Jesus came, and you confess him as Lord, you'll be saved. You can pray it in your own way, but everyone, if you would, repeat after me, Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I have failed. I can't do this in my own strength. I need a Savior. I need you 
to be born in my heart. I ask you to forgive my sins because I choose to turn away from my sins. And I believe that you died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. I believe that you rose from the dead so that I could have newness of life. And today, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. And I will serve you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. There's rejoicing in heaven. There ought to be rejoicing here on earth. Praying that prayer isn't magic. It's a step toward a fully developed disciple following after Jesus. And if you made that commitment, prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I'm going to ask you to text the word GROW to 77411. Text the word GROW to, uh, it's not that one, it's the GROW one. Not the groups one. I need the other slide. Text the word GROW to 77411. GROW to 77411. And that will allow us to interact with you with what Jesus is doing in your life and to reconnect with you in a way that we can walk alongside you in a journey. It's not a destination, it's a journey. The second part of the question then is for all of us. How many of you are willing to say, I hear Mark's message and when he puts his finger on my heart, I will repent and make the path straight. How many of you will agree with that? Let's stand together. Pastor Nathan's going to lead us in worship and let's worship the Lord together for a few moments.
Christmas celebration guy. In fact, Christmas trees are pretty special to me because it was I was at my my girlfriend's house that is now my wife that we were sitting alone in the living room by the Christmas tree and she said, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And then I thought, what? just came out of my mouth. What what did I just say? Wow, where did that come? Must have been God, right? It must have been God. I'm not against any of that. But I'm saying to you, let's not forget in the celebration that the celebration is about the time has come. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's the incarnation story from Mark. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for your faithful giving. Thankful for all you do to help us keep moving forward. And let's see how many people we can encourage to come into the kingdom during this Advent season. Amen. God bless you. Be a blessing to someone as you go today.